Good afternoon. This is Common Ground Radio, an hour of local food and organic agriculture here in the state of Maine, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association and in conjunction with WERU. My name is CJ Walk. My pronouns are he, him, and I am your host for today's show. Uh, today on Common Ground Radio, I have a handful of guests with me, and we are going to be talking about the impacts of the current uh, coronavirus pandemic on the main agric agricultural fair scene. So for guests with me today, I have Barry Norris, who is executive director of the Maine Association of Agricultural Fairs. So thanks for being here today, Barry. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And I have Missy Jordan, and Missy is the Agricultural Program Specialist for the Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry. So Missy, thanks for being here today. Thank you. Good morning. And um, I also have Sarah Alexander, who is the Executive Director for MOFCA. So thanks for being here, Sarah. Thanks. And then I have Sandra Savage, who is a longtime uh, her longtime involvement in the union fair and as our union fair representative. So thank you for being here today, Sandra. Thank you for including me. So I would at this point just like to come back around and give you each a couple minutes to explain uh, your role with Maine Ag Fairs and maybe a little bit about the, the organization or the department you may represent. Um, and we'll kind of go back around in the same order that I just introduced folks. So Barry, would you be able to speak a little bit about your role? Sure. My role as executive director is to assist the 26 or 27 agricultural fairs in working together to develop good educational programs and their ability to work together to enhance agriculture in the state of Maine. One thing that we do do at the end of the day is we held an annual conference in January so that all of the participants in our fair family can get together and listen to different speakers about different things that are going on in the industry and also have the opportunity to meet with each other and discuss the events that they hope to have in the future. This year being a difficult year in that uh, we're on, they were unable to meet locally, we put together a video conference on a monthly basis so that the different fairs could meet with each other. And we did a hiatus during the summer and we're gonna start that back up again at the end of this month so that the fairs can talk to each other and come up with ideas about how they're gonna overcome COVID-19 and looking forward to 2019. Okay, great, thank you, Barry. And then could I ask um, uh, Missy Jordan with the State Department of Ag and Conservation Forestry. Yeah, so the uh, main Department of Agriculture, Conservation and Forestry um, is a little bit unique in comparison to other state departments of agriculture with our involvement in our um, regional fairs. We license them. There are 26 um, currently licensed fairs in our state. Um, and as a part of their licensing, that allows us to make sure that they are upholding certain standards, um, giving fairgoers really the best experience possible including agricultural education um, and lots of other opportunities for community groups and youth programs um, and local artisans, craftspeople, and producers, of course. Um, that ranges from everything from 
myself being on the ground at each place to a uh, committee of fair evaluators that go in um, and walk through to see what they're doing, to our harness racing division, which is a, a complete division within the Bureau of Agriculture of its own, um, to working with other state agencies from DHHS for food vendors or fire marshals for safety things. Um, and then we do a lot of advertising, marketing promotions for them and on their behalf um, and get to work with a lot of um, really great community groups like the MAAF. Uh, Barry and I know each other well, we, we talk often. Um, Cooperative Extension, MOFCA, um, and local youth organizations kind of to pull it all together. And then uh, Sarah, Sarah Alexander from OFCA, if I could jump over to you for a quick intro. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm the executive director of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association, and we put on the Common Ground Country Fair. It's uh, the third weekend in September annually. And in normal times or every year prior to this year, um, that would happen in person in Unity, Maine. We have a, a fairgrounds there on our campus, um, and we normally expect close to 60,000 people that would come in person over the three-day weekend. And we have, um, similar to what Barry and, and Missy were talking about, you know, we work closely with both of them and with the state and with the rest of the fairs to ensure that we have an incredible amount of educational programming that's really educating folks about agriculture and, and the many different aspects of agriculture. And so, you know, we're gonna talk this hour about how things have changed this year, but needless to say, um, you know, we still have those same missions as we look forward to what we're gonna be doing this year, even though we can't gather together in person. Great, thank you, Sarah. Um, and then, Sandra, if I could jump to you for your, the Union Fair representative here today. Sure. I, uh, I don't have a title. I'm not one of the trustees. I'm just probably the elder statesman here. When I say I've been involved for a long time, I'm telling you that in 71 years of my life, I've missed one Union Fair. So I've done pretty much a lot of it. I ran the front gate. I've done the Facebook page. My family has been involved since uh, probably 1949, and it has been very much a family affair. It started with my dad and my brother and my mother and the whole family, and I think that's probably not unique to Union. I think you could probably go to any one of the 26 fairs and find families like ours who have just done it for the sheer love of the, of the organization and what it represents. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, so I think to kind of start off what I wanted to make listeners aware of or to understand, I guess, was maybe kind of the process and decision making as, I um, mean, as we rolled into March and pretty much things were shutting down all over the state. Um, I think, Barry, maybe I would just start with you to think of the broader fair picture, um, but anyone feel free to chime in just kind of what that decision making process was to say, okay, when do we have to call? We're not gonna have an actual fair and, and how that all worked out. We, as I said, stated earlier, what we tried to do as an organization is we held virtual conferences with all the fairs on a bi-weekly basis to begin with. 
We laid out everything that was coming out from the governor's office uh, dealing with the COVID-19 restrictions and the, the fair participants would each decide when they were going to determine when they would or would not have a fair. Uh, that was all predicated on numbers. It was also predicated on safety. Uh, in their discussions, they all talked about they wanted to make sure that their environment was safe for not only the participants, but the fair goers. So over the course of three months, each fair decided on their own when they would postpone their event for 2020 and or restructure their event. Uh, one thing that uh, the, our association did is we put together a webinar to show the participants how they could perform a virtual fair during 2020 rather than having a live event. That being said, we have got two or three fairs that have are in the process, we, Mofka being one, the common ground, Freiburg being another, and we've had two or three others that have done virtual fair events over the past few weeks or few months that fairs would normally have been in, uh, live, if you will. Uh, we hope that these events uh, will continue not only for 2020, but 2021 in that the virtual fair can have more broad-based participation in some cases than we've had in the past. Uh, for example, uh, youth can have a virtual youth show of their animals and their animals could come from all out, all over New England, not just the state of Maine. So we can make these virtual events even more popular and have a virtual event as well as a live event. And we're trying to work to that means as far as the association's concerned. Uh, Missy is part of our IT group at the MAAF. She's also a member of our group at the, the Fair Association. And she was part of the web webinar. If anybody wants to look at that, that webinar is still available on our website at the uh, Maine Association of uh, Agricultural Affairs.org. Uh, so those are some of the things that we had to go through, some of the things that we are going, still going through. Uh, one thing that a lot of our fears uh, missed in 2020 is that outside of fair week, fairs do certain things to generate income so that they can keep their facilities up. And some of these uh, uh, fairs have gone to the point that they have uh, a food truck events so people can come to have fair food at their fairgrounds. Uh, they sponsored that. Blue Hill, for example, is, a, is, is doing a great thing with different food vendors every week. A different food vendor goes to the Blue Hill Fair every week so that those people in that area can partake of fair food uh, and also they, they did a farmer's market. Uh, Ossipi uh, Fair has done some different contests with landscaping to keep people involved down in the Ossipi area. Uh, Northern Maine, for, uh, a couple of food vendors went to Northern Maine up in Presque Isle to get the flair of, of fair food. So not only are we, working, are we working with the fairs, but we're also working with our partners and our partners are the vendors, our partners are 4-H, our partners are the different organizations that all take part as a fair unit. So as the association is concerned, we're trying to still promote what's going on uh, this coming week. And the next couple of weeks, the Skowhegan's got an event coming up. Farmington's got a food event coming up. 
So there's all kinds of things going on uh, that we hope your listeners will look toward the fairs and go on to the different fair websites and see what's happening in their areas. We're really excited to watch what's happening. Uh, if people watch Facebook and they can go on and see what's happening at, at uh, the common ground, what, what, what things are happening uh, in your schedule. The, uh, additionally, what's happening in Freiburg, the different contests that's happening virtually in Freiburg. So uh, we're excited about what people are doing and have the ability to do. Uh, hopefully that we can overcome this crisis. We are not going to have a conference in January. Uh, we, and that decision was made because we don't know what the numbers are going to be. Right now, we know that the numbers are 100. Our organization normally has between five to a thousand people attend our conference in January, uh, so that we don't have we don't have the ability to have social distancing. Uh, so we decided as a board that we would not have a conference in 2020. Uh, that being said, we are going to uh, still try to get things out to the uh, fair associations to assist them in uh, redeveloping and who they are in 2021. I hope that helps out. Yes, definitely. Thank you. And then, um, Missy, can I just ask you, thinking that the, the decision-making process, I know there were guidelines that came down from the state, um, but it seems like from what Barry said, was it kind of up to each fair to determine how they were going to proceed for 2020? So yeah, every um, fair, licensed agricultural fair in Maine is an entity of its own. They have their own board. They're a completely separate organization, most of which are nonprofits and um, many of which rely almost solely on volunteer um, help to, to run their organizations. And so yeah, they individually made their decisions. Um, I think Barry hit most of um, the points on the decision-making process that everybody went through this spring, we were having, I think at one point, Barry, we were doing weekly Saturday morning president calls. Um, and it really was a painstaking process. Um, you know, no one wanted to cancel their fair events for this year. Um, people really, it's in their heart and soul. Um, these were crushing decisions. It's been even harder to watch them kind of um, get beat up over these these decisions by public or um, by you know people who would normally be exhibitors who have now lost their opportunities. And I think that's the other important part that Barry touched on a little bit is it's not just the fair, it's not just the experience and going for the rides. It really is everyone from the top to the bottom. It's the fair organization, and they're losing their event and their big you know yearly. Um, thing, but every exhibitor at a Maine Agricultural Fair is a small business of its own. And in some instances, um, the Common Ground Fair is a perfect example of this. Some of the um, craft people that exhibit at the Common Ground Fair have booth space, um, you know, or they're set up selling their goods. Really, that's their one annual event. They go there, that's their big, they spend all year preparing to sell their goods at that one event. And so with the cancellation of that, you know, how do we still partner with these people? How do we make sure they're gonna be there next year when hopefully we all return to our fairgrounds um, for in-person events? And then the other thing um, that I think, I hope rings really, really true is that virtual in some capacity, I think is here to stay. I think there's a ton of great opportunities. You know, everybody got pushed to that a little bit this year because of the current situation. But what great opportunities there are out there now with technology um, to 
kind of invite fairgoers from near and far to take, you know, part in person if they can, or, um, you know, virtually and still get to experience what's going on um, and all the great things that our fairs are doing to educate the public and keep them entertained and, you know, show them the best that we have to offer here in Maine. Great, thank you, Missy. And I think that, um, Sarah, I'll probably jump over to you since Missy mentioned the Common Ground Fair, but in terms of the decision-making decision process for MOFCA and the fair, could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and those um, early calls that, that Missy and Barry were referencing, I know our staff were on them every week, and those are really helpful to think through. And, and I know you brought in examples really from around the world in terms of how events were dealing with um, the pandemic, safety issues, and all the things that, that fairs needed to consider. And it was really the governor's um, guidance, I think, that came out towards the beginning of May that laid out the phased approach of how many people could gather together in person. Um, and I think through the, well, I think maybe we're still technically under this right now, but no more than 100 people can gather together in one space um, even in an outdoor setting. And so originally that was through the end of August and our fair being three weeks later, it was really hard to see how we were going to be able to gather thousands and thousands of people together, you know, that soon after um, the restrictions had been, you know, for only a hundred people. And so it was a really painstaking decision um, to, to make the decision to not hold an in-person fair and instead move to online. And we were originally thinking we would have more time when we would wanna wait and really make that decision, but that guidance from the state helped make that clear pretty early on. And so we met with our volunteer committees, we met with our fair steering committee, we met with our board, we met with our staff, we had so many conversations about, you know, what are all of the options here what can we do that's going to be best for our community and for the safety of all of our volunteers and all of the people that would attend the fair. And so we decided to make that decision in May, in early May, um, because of what Missy mentioned around there are so many exhibitors and vendors and folks who specifically this is the event of the year that they either make things for, grow things for, you know, that they're preparing things year round um, to come exhibit at the Common Ground Country Fair. And we knew that this would have a huge economic impact on those folks. And so we wanted to make the decision as early as we could so that we would have time for those exhibitors and partners to adapt and shift their strategy for the year. And then we also hope that it would give us time to come up with some alternatives for how we could um, continue to do the educational pieces and involve those exhibitors. And um, yeah, we're, I, I'll, I'll hold off on explaining all that we're doing for those folks um, so we can hear from Sandra, but you know, I think making the decision early on has helped us in that process. And I guess, Sandra, if I could jump to you and, and ask you about the process there for the union fair. Sure. I, um, I wasn't technically involved with it, but I'm sure it was very similar. But I have, just listening to everybody, I, I react to some words, and it's absolutely true. Somebody used the word crushing. Somebody used the word painstaking. 
Um, I watched the closings happening. And even I, though I knew ultimately in my head what was going to be the end result, I was hoping against hope that wasn't going to be the case. I liken it almost to a tidal wave. It, you, could, you could just see it happening. And you knew that eventually, eventually, right from the beginning to the end, that people were, uh, it, we were going to have to cancel. I'm glad and that everyone was able to take the time they needed. Uh, I certainly hope the public and the vendors and everybody understands that these decisions weren't taken lightly. Um, the financial impact on people has got to be tremendous. I every day look at the trickle down of, and I just don't see the end result of the trickle down. It's just one thing after another that it's impacting. But I do hope, and I think it was Missy that said, I hope people aren't taking uh, abuse, if you will, for these decisions, because these decisions were made very, very, very uh, thoroughly and with a lot of thought. Yes, yes, thank you, Sandra. Um, and I, I was just Can I touch really quickly, since so she mentioned it again, we've sure. talked a little bit about economic impact. All of us have touched on it a little bit. I think it's um, really important for people to remember that fairgrounds in every community, I call them this all the time, are a community hub. So Barry mentioned off-season, what we call off-season events, which means not fair week. <laughs> it doesn't mean winter, or, you know, it's year-round. Anything that happens outside of fair week, um, for the most part, these fair organizations have also lost. But more than that, their surrounding communities um, and all of the exhibitors and vendors have also lost all of this income coming to town, right? So I live close to a couple of fairgrounds. One of them is Freiburg. Um, if you can picture, you know, 300,000 people coming to a community for really, it's a 15-day process um, where typically there's a population of only a couple of thousand. Um, that's huge for that community. You know, there's tons of, um, you know, small businesses on the fairgrounds for fair week. But when you get to the lodging outside of the fairgrounds and the store down the street that sells ice all week and um, really fairs are more than just fair week in their communities. And, um, you know, it's hurting them. It's hurting local businesses. It's hurting their exhibitors um, and other small businesses and producers as well. Yeah, my, my next question was about that economic impact. So you just kind of covered it really well. And um, I'm curious, so are there any estimated numbers of what that kind of negative impact may be? If this I don't know if community-wise we know. So fair-wise, you know, we, it would be pretty easy to compile because we know what people's typical annual income is from events. But community-wise, unfortunately, there's never been, uh, with the exception of maybe Freiburg, um, a very thorough economic impact study done on specifically fairs because they're spread out, you know, everywhere. It would be a huge undertaking to cover every community that they're in. But um, Barry might have more insight too. I, I think it's fair to say that Missy's right. <clears throat> the only fair that's had an economic survey done was uh, Freiburg, and they had that done a couple, three years ago. And they estimated back then that their economic impact of the region was in excess of $15 million. 
So if you look at 26 fares across the, across the state of Maine, it's fair to say that you're looking at in excess of a hundred million dollar impact over the course of a year. And I think at some point uh, when we get back on our feet that we're, that the association is going to try to partner with the department, uh, Missy's department and maybe a couple of universities to see if we can't do uh, an impact study on uh, the impact uh, effect across the state of Maine from the little town of Springfield Fair to, to Freiburg so that we can have these questions answered at the end of the day. Uh, the trickle down is, is really important because it trickles down to the person who sells the flour to the guy who makes the fried dough. As we all know, it, it trickles down to the guy who raised, who's raising the garlic to sell as a seed garlic at Common Ground Fair. So it, it, it's, it, it impacts the person who directs traffic for the fair to earn a little extra income to help pay their taxes uh, or work at the, the ticket booth. The lady who works at the ticket booth, maybe mm -hmm. she can have a little extra income uh, to help her get through the, the year. So, I mean, there's all kinds of individuals from the, from the high school student to the person who is retired that, this, that the loss of fears impacts. The one thing I want, I really want to share is that I'm, we're really proud of our fairs because our fairs are stepping up for their communities in that I'll use the Harmony Free Fair. They used their fairgrounds the other day for a, for a community recreation day. Uh, they've used their fairgrounds to hold their annual town meeting. Skowhegan used their fairgrounds to hold their annual town meeting. So the fairs themselves have stepped up to promote their communities even though we're not having an agricultural event, but they don't want their communities to, to uh, not be involved with their grounds. Union, uh, the other night in the pouring rain, we had town meeting drive-in at the Union Fairgrounds. It was, it was, it was an interesting time, but uh, we had a lot of people show up in their cars and we, we did it. Uh, so, so the members of the fair community are trying to keep their fair families out in front so people don't forget that what, what they're there for and what they do for everyone. To expand on that topic just a little bit, um, I think it's important for the public to remember that almost all of our fairs rely on a lot of volunteer help um, and they're always looking for help, but I think even more now than ever, they're tackling projects that in a normal fair year they might never get to because they're so busy trying to put on a fair. Um, that things get pushed to the back burner. And then looking into 2021, um, I think the need for volunteers to you know, step in and take part in their community events is gonna be bigger than ever. And um, I hope that people remember that, hey, these groups were there for us. You know, All of the local fairgrounds, every place I've ever lived in Maine, let people walk on their fairgrounds and walk their dogs and take their kids. I take my kids with his bike to, different fairgrounds that are near me um, to ride and walk. Um, and I think, I hope people really remember that when there are calls to action in the future, you know, they're really there for their communities and um, rely on their communities to support them. Yeah, it seems like the community connection is, is really strong with all the fairs. And, um, and I wanted to ask Sandra just uh, a piece. We talked about some of the economic pieces, but right before we started recording for the show, Sandra, you had mentioned some of the 
the social impacts, which maybe we all feel since we're not out and about as much as, as normal. Um, but you were speaking to your, your life with the Union Fair and some of the, the social impacts that occur. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because for years and years and years, Union always, um, the high school would hold the, their annual uh, high school reunion during fair week because people, that's when people came home. They came home for the fair. It wasn't necessarily the reunion, but it, that's when they came home. Um, Barry mentioned the, the people in the area who, who have um, the extra little extra money. We've, we've had the same people, we've had the same people selling tickets, we've had the same people um, involved right along. Like I say, with my family, it, it's, it's just been a family history. It, it's something that started, in, I was born in May of the year, many, many years ago. And I um, was at Union Fair the first year in August. And my mother was chastised by somebody saying, you're taking that child to that fair. Well, that fair has now become part of, you know, my blood and the whole family. I did mention that ahead of time when we were talking. Union Fair started in 1869. We have lost two years during that time. The saddest thing when you think about it, the two years that we lost were because of a world war and now we're losing number three. We have a family in, in the Union Fair community who if I look at the history, they have an ancestor that started in 1869. I'm, I'm a relative newcomer since 18, uh, 1949. They have people listed here um, since 1869. And I don't think Union is unique. I, I really don't. I think every one of the fairs could sit right here and, and name people that have been involved. I think of the kids who are losing out their premium money because these kids they do this they're going to buy their school clothes of course nowadays they don't need new school school clothes but they use this money for their their school clothes others like barry says pay their taxes as much as this is a financial impact i think it's an absolute emotional impact last week during during union fair if you will we would say oh we would have been lining up the demo derby cars now. Or, oh, we would have lost today, the last day it rained, so we would have lost that day. It's just that it's, it is so much part of your whole life, your life. Speaking yeah. to that, CJ, going back to what uh, was just said, that the fair community in a whole, as a whole looks forward to seeing each other on a weekly basis. The family moves from fair to fair. The, the youth move with their cattle from fair to fair, and they look forward to seeing, like Sandra said, the different the different people. They come to see Union Fair people, and oh wow, I'm really excited to see you. Or they leave Union and go to Windsor. It, the fair community moves together. So socially, I think there's been a big loss this year because a lot of a lot of the uh, youth not and their families are missing out on what they perceive as their vacation this is what they do 
every summer to have some fun, not only to show premiums and, and, and learn different things, but at the end of the day, uh, you'll, you'll go to different fairs and everybody's having a potluck supper at some point during that week uh, or some different group, whether it's livestock or the exhibit, exhibit hall, the people get together and it's camaraderie and it's seeing each other and it's looking forward to what we're going to do when we get to a specific location. And I think, I think that's, that's another human factor that we forget about. And uh, I think we need to, to talk about it as a group later on, not maybe today, but later on as a group, how we overcome that for 2020, how we can maybe uh, get together as a, as a family at different locations and, and do things later in the fall so that we don't lose that uh, camaraderie that has, has not happened in the last few weeks, nor will it happen in the coming weeks. Thank you. Yeah, and um, I agree. I agree there, Barry. And Sarah, I wanted to jump over to you just to speak about the community's piece around the Common Ground Country Fair. Um, but then as we move into this second half of our, our hour together, um, if you could also kind of lead into Sarah some of the changes and then we'll get into what things look like for for fairs this year what's happened what's about to happen um and then start to think about the positive side of things along the way yeah so i absolutely echo what folks are mentioning about the social impacts and you know back when we had to make this decision in may um folks that are part of our volunteer fair steering committee it was a very emotional decision and and i don't even think then the the impact had fully hit us but you know there were there were tears on the call when we were making that decision because this is a huge part of people's lives um the common ground country fair was started in 1977 and we have many people that have been involved every single year for the last 43 years and um, they volunteer. The fair is put on by 2,500 volunteers. So, um, you know, there are folks, there are about 250 people who, who really um, coordinate each area of the fair and coordinate the volunteers for those areas. And those 250 folks are such a close-knit family and community and year after year look forward to the, their family reunion at the fair for those three three days of that weekend. So um, unfortunately, we'll, I, I don't think there is a way to replace that in these times that we're in right now. You just can't replace everybody being able to get together and celebrate together, you know, in those large groups like that. So even though we've continued to meet and do all of our work online, um, we can't substitute that at this moment. But looking forward to the positive for what we can do. So after a lot of um, listening from our community and then planning about what would be possible with an online presence this year, We've come up with a few main components for what the online alternative Common Ground Country Fair is going to look like this year. So just to say straight off the bat, in case anybody's wondering, there will, there will not be anything happening on the actual fairgrounds for that weekend. Um, so please do not come to the fairgrounds the third weekend of September. Um, they will be closed and we don't, you know, there's nothing happening there everything will be online and people can tune in from wherever they're at. So we're gonna have three days of live streaming, live programming, 
and we've just announced the schedule for that on our on our FAIR website. We built a special website. It's at fair.mafka.org, and that's going to host our live stream for the weekend, which will also be broadcast on Facebook and on YouTube. So hopefully whatever channel you're on, you can either, you know, find it on the website or find it on, on Facebook or YouTube. And there's a whole bunch of things that are going to happen during those three days. So we've tried to pull out many of the iconic parts of the fair that people really look forward to. Everybody loves the sheepdog demonstrations. And so we're going to have a live um, presentation every day at noon of the sheepdogs. We're going to have our keynote speakers and we're going to have a number of different agricultural demonstrations and workshops, everything from planting garlic to uh, fermenting in your kitchen. And we hope that everybody can find something that is of interest to them and, and tune in for that time period and watch the live stream, ask questions. We want this to be interactive. So that's one of the uh, sort of social components that we're hoping to replicate, which is, um, you know, you can, you can chat in a question and the speaker will be able to answer that live um, in real time. And then once each of those presentations is done, they will all be recorded and they will all be uploaded to our content library on that same website. So at fair.mafka.org, we're also going to have an educational content library. And in addition to the live streaming aspects, we have about 50 other uh, demonstrations and workshops that have been pre-recorded that are going to be available to, for folks to look through. So let's say maybe you, you know, watch the garlic planting demonstration and then you say, you know, I really need to learn more about how to get my garden ready for the winter. And so you can go into our content library and look through all of the videos and the things that we have available there um, to see what else you might be interested in. The other really um, major aspect that we're excited about for the virtual online fair is our online marketplace. So we have 200 of our exhibitors and vendors who have signed up to participate in a single online marketplace. And um, people are gonna be able to log on there and see everything that folks have for sale and shop in one single um, shopping trip, you know, from all 200 vendors. So you can get your hand towels that you like and your soap and maybe a gift card to one of the farm stands that you love and then check out and be able to um, help support all of those local businesses. And we're actually gonna leave that up through the holidays, through the end of the year, because we hope that our, our local vendors and exhibitors will be able to um, help recoup some of the income that they would have gotten from the fair. But we'll do some special pushes around the holiday too, because we know that um, that's another really important uh, season for those vendors to, to be able to make up some of that income. Can I ask either Missy or Barry or both of you to chime in on some of the other fairs that are maybe doing some virtual activities um, and some other situations that are have been adjusted for this year? Well, I, I, I know Freiburg is in the process of uh, doing a tremendous amount of virtual uh, recording right now uh, on on Facebook uh, they post what they're doing and who's sponsoring it I do know that they're going to have a virtual uh, livestock show auction for the youth that have been raising their animals uh, during the year that would normally 
auction on Saturday, uh, Friday, the last day of the fair, but they're going to have an online uh, video uh, virtual show and auction during the week that would normally be the Freiburg event. Uh, I believe the Cumberland is also going to do a show sale at the Cumberland Fairgrounds sometime in September to make sure that the youth that have been preparing all year long to show their animals and auction them off because they use that to go to college and, and, and for different different uh, things uh, will have that opportunity. Uh, the Penobscot uh, 4-H group up in Bangor did have a show and auction uh, to assist their youth as well. So those are some things that are happening. One thing I'd like your listeners to do for us is to promote what we're talking about today because we in the industry know what's going on, but it's hard for us to get the word out to everybody. I haven't talked to Missy about this yet, but at some point in the next week or so, I would like to see our organizations get together and somehow promote what's going on with MOFCA, what's going on with Freiburg, uh, out in the public's eye, whether we contact the, or you as an organization contact uh, 207, the nightly program, to get us out in the public's eye. Uh, sometimes I wonder if we're just preaching to the, preaching to the, uh, the choir when, it, when who, who's really looking at our Facebook page? I know we do, but who else is? So we, you're putting all this hard work out there and you want this to be really promoted. I think we need to come together in the next week or so to see if we can't come, out, come up with an idea or a solution to get it out to more people. So I would hope your listeners would promote what, what we've been talking about today. It would go to these websites, go to these Facebook pages and get more people involved across the state and not only across the state, but across New England, because no matter where you are, you can watch the virtual fair, but you're gonna know that it's there. I agree, and I think that's one of the key key points for, for listeners to understand is that the the fairs are a, a lot more than just the actual days that the grounds and the gates are open. Um, a lot more happening there. So to touch a little bit on that, um, yeah, there are a lot of events still happening, and they're being done on different levels and virtually and in person, and actually some of the in-person ones might even be limited in um, audience just because of number restrictions. But they are, um, you know, nobody's doing the typical amount of advertising this year because of funding. And in a typical year, we actually do weekly press releases. And with everything kind of being in limbo all summer, um, we haven't done those typical releases. And there are things that we've been trying to promote um, in conjunction with the MAF. They are all, um, we try to keep stuff really updated on Facebook through um, the MAF Real Main, both on the Real Main Facebook page and GetRealMain.com, um, the MDACF um, social media channels. Um, we try to get stuff out, which is a little different audience um, than some of the other um, channels. But yes, it is kind of a weird year for promotion. Um, and getting people to kind of pick up stories, you know, virtual storylines. We're all staring at screens so much, um, but I do hope people take part. Um, there's still a lot of really good info to be had and exciting things coming. And 
um, I know for me, I'm a livestock person. So whether I'm watching, um, you know, a 4-H kid that's worked really hard all year with a steer to get it ready, um, get that slap for grand champion through a screen or in person, it gives me goosebumps. Um, you know, they put a lot of work into it. It's really exciting. You see kids crying at Freiburg Fair every year. Um, you know, either with excitement or, oh, geez, I can't believe fair, you know, can't believe it's over. Um, and, you know, so there's still really a lot of good to be had and a lot of good stories out there waiting to be told. Yes. I will like, I would like to uh, comment too, when we were talking about things that are going on, the 4-H in this area, it's, um, it's through the extension service. They, I just looked at it before we started talking today. They have um, an, a virtual uh, exhibition hall. And I had just started to look at it briefly and I was looking at the artwork that these uh, children have done. And so, like I say, you say, we, we need to let people know that these things are still going on. Fairs are year-round work, and we are always reminding people of that, but, um, you know, this year especially, there's more going on behind the scenes, so to speak, than even usual, because so much of it is behind the scenes and not something you're going to walk through the gates to see, um, but there's, fairs never, never end. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll just add, um, you know, even though we can't gather together, you know, we hope that these will be interactive opportunities for folks as well. So Sandra mentioned the virtual exhibition hall, and we're doing something similar for the Common Ground Country Fair. Um, we're having virtual exhibition hall, so you can submit photos of your produce or artwork or flowers or, you know, any of the normal kinds of things that you would um, exhibit during the fair. You can exhibit those online and we will be um, judging those. Our volunteer judges will judge and give appropriate prizes for those um, just like we would during the normal exhibition hall. So that's pretty exciting. And then there are a couple other interactive parts. Um, the Poetry Grove is, is an important part of Mopka's Common Ground Country Fair, it honors our uh, late executive director, Russell Libby. And so we're encouraging folks to submit poetry submissions this year um, to characterize the fair experience or what the fair means to them, as well as their own fair stories that we can share out um, so people can read those. And um, the garden parade, which happens every day during the Common Ground Country Fair, our, our youth uh, dress up and they parade around the commons and so we're gonna try to do that virtually as well and hope that folks will take um, pictures of themselves in their dressed up as their favorite you know vegetable or fruit or animal and um, submit that so that we can have that as part of the virtual exhibition as well. I guess I also maybe it's too early to ask the question because we're still in, you know, in the thick of this year, but I'm curious if there are maybe some unexpected kind of positive outcomes or um, the so-called silver lining maybe might be showing up and maybe it's too early to tell. Um, but one of the things I think Missy had mentioned was that the virtual piece seems like it's here to stay. So I'm curious about some of the kind of positive outcomes or things looking towards the future that, that any of the fairs or associations may be considering. Um, I will 
quickly chime in on that. One thing I think is the virtual aspect of it. I think that um, fairs in general um, are are slower to pick up on new things and new technology, and um, it's partially because they're you know volunteer boards that are trying to get stuff together, or don't have the means, or don't have tech savvy people. And I think this gave them the maybe unwanted push, but now they're there. And I think it's a huge opportunity. Um, and, you know, thank goodness it's now in front of us. And I, I hope that in some capacity it's here to stay so that people everywhere can really see all that we have going on and great things that we have to offer here in Maine. Um, another thing for me throughout this summer, so um, I very much on a professional and personal level have been missing my fair visits. It's fairs have been in my blood my whole life. I've never had a summer with, you know, without them. Um, and it was getting pretty depressing, think, you know, sitting at home and, and such. But I have to tell you that um, out of this really has come a higher level of collaboration amongst fair entities all over the state and nationally, honestly. Um, than I've ever seen before. Um, it used to be that, you know, the MAAF would host an annual conference and everybody came together in the middle of winter. And that's kind of where they all sat down and hashed out ideas and shared um, what worked for them the previous year and, you know, um, hired new entertainment and got new ideas. And now, um, you know, we were meeting weekly um, which at the time was necessary, and now you know we're going to be starting back up so that it's a monthly thing. And there were representatives each week from almost every licensed agricultural fair in the state, and never before has that type of collaboration um, happened. And I just think that we're all going to be better for it. You know, I was on there so I could share information um, on relevant things coming from the department and what was you know going on regulatory-wise, but also hey, here's what we can do to help you here's things we can do for you how we can work together and just fairs really um having each other's backs i guess more than more than ever and missy's 100 percent right on that that for, for the longest time people would just stay in their own backyard and not share and what i what i'm really happy to say i'm excited about as far as the silver lining is that all 26 fairs over the past few months have come together to work collaboratively on how are we going to do different things. I also, we, Missy and I also belong to an international association and we shared the information about what's going on nationally with all different fairs and how they're interacting and how we interact with them. Uh, and I think uh, by doing this, we're coming together as a is a bigger family and out of this uh we're, we're going to be a better organization and each I, I think each one of the fairs is going to be better uh because of the camaraderie that's being that, that's going on right now with, with our organizations and uh, i look forward to uh, working like that in the future uh, we make sure that we give all our fairs the information as it comes to us uh, if there's ways that they can apply for different federal grants or different programs. We make sure that they have all that. Uh, that comes down through the, the International Association, uh, what's going on in Washington, uh, how we can uh, better utilize what's going on. And, and I will say from my perspective, I've had a couple of fairs who apply for grants and ask different questions. And I've applied that information 
and I've asked all the 26 spheres, what are you doing to help do this, this or that? And they're coming out and they're helping each other solve problems. And I think that's, that's kind of what's very important uh, out of 2020 is that we're there together and we all have the same problem. So how are we gonna solve it to the best of our ability? Yeah, I think we're looking forward to seeing how things go with, with having everything online. And um, I know for years, people have asked us to live stream some of the content that happens during the fair. And um, it's always been a tech hurdle. And like Missy said, sometimes we're slow to change on those fronts. But if this is a success this year, you know, I think we may look at adopting some of these practices moving forward. Um, we can make things much more accessible to people who might have a hard time getting to the fair in person, but maybe they do want to watch the sheepdog demo or um, watch some of the livestock, uh, you know, demonstrations. And so we can make that available to people more widely. And I would say if the online marketplace works, I would I think that's something that our vendors and our exhibitors may be interested in continuing into the future as well, but it all depends on how things go in a few weeks. And I guess I would add to that, that what I'm not seeing is any doubt whatsoever. Nobody is expressing any doubt that we won't be back next year. Well, that sounds like a good positive note there for sure. <laughs> well, we are kind of getting towards the end of our time. So to just to be able to, to wrap up in the last few minutes, I wanna make sure that for listeners, I have some resources um, accurate and we had mentioned some websites. So I just wanna uh, confirm Barry for the Maine uh, Association of Agricultural Fairs. The website there is mainfairs.org and links can be found to the 26 licensed fairs that have been mentioned. That's correct. Okay. So more information can be found there. And then Missy, for the um, State Department, you had mentioned the getrealmain.com website. Is there an additional resource? Uh, that's the best one really that's um, for you know public facing. We have been promoting fairs. We're doing Fair Friday um, on getrealmain.com and across the Real Main social media channels. Um, and we have event calendars for them and um, really just direct links to all of the fairs and what their current status is, which is postponed for all of them at the moment. <laughs> but we were updating them as they came. Okay. And then uh, Sarah, for the Common Ground Country Fair, the new fair website there is www.fair.mothka.org. Yep, and everybody will be able to find all the things we talked about on that website. Okay. And then Sandra, just to check with you, I'm sure that all the union fair information would be available through the MAAF website that we mentioned, correct? That one, and we also have our own, it's unionfair.org. We do have a couple of events that are actually going to happen this fall. Um, actually this coming Saturday, we have a yard sale. We're doing that exactly according to uh, the CDC requirements. And we have a very popular uh, event called the Trail of Terror in October for Halloween. And we are very, very hopeful that that one's gonna go as well. So they can find that on our website as well. Okay, and that website, just to repeat, was unionfair.org. That's correct, thank you. Great. 
Well, I would like to thank all of you for being here. Some, on you some of you rather on short notice um, to making it all happen today. And just to kind of wrap out the end of the show, I'd like to thank each of you, um, each of you individually. So joining me today, we had Missy Jordan from uh, the Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation and Forestry. Thank you for being here today, Missy. Thanks for including us. And we had Barry Norris from the Maine uh, Association of Agricultural Affairs. So Barry, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having us as well. And Sarah Alexander uh, from MOFCA, Executive Director for MOFCA. Thank you for joining us today, Sarah. Yep, thanks for having me. And Sandra, for you representing the Union Fair, I really appreciate you joining us in the conversation as well. Thank you, it's my pleasure. Okay, thanks again everyone for being here. This has been Common Ground Radio, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with WERU. Common Ground Radio can be heard on the second Thursday of every month at 4 p.m. right here on WERU. Thanks for tuning in, and please stay tuned for more great programming. <music>